0: So in the last class, we looked at the British Empire, how Britain controlled almost a third of the planet's land and populations, and how the British Empire was about trying to maximize profits for Britain, exploiting people through first slavery um, and other forms of exploitation, taking the resources from Africa and Asia and the Caribbean, enriching Britain. But control and exploiting these massive populations required policing. And it wasn't just a violent form of policing as people challenged British power and fought for their freedom, but it was also a racist form of policing, a form of forms of policing which wouldn't be used necessarily against the British population. Forms of policing which were so violent that they came to mark Britain as not only a nation which which became powerful through exploitation and through through slavery and through the expanse um, of its power, but also a nation which maintained that empire through extreme forms of violence and policing. And we looked at three or four key ways in which that form of policing came into being. The identification of a suspect community, in the case of Kenya, it was the Kikuyu. The surveillance of that suspect community through checkpoints and searches and containments. And then we looked at the way in which that suspect community was collectively punished. So even if one or two people in that community were found guilty of a crime, everyone in that community um, would be punished through mass imprisonment or deportation. And we also looked at how that collective punishment used extreme forms of violence, poisoned gas, guns, and at times even torture and forced labour. But what's that all got to do with Britain today? How has that history of empire in the 1950s and 60s and the decades and centuries before it come to affect life here on the British mainland in the 20th and 21st centuries? So after World War II, Britain had been destroyed. As, as I'm sure many of you are aware, Britain's major cities were bombed during World War II and Britain wanted a new fresh start after the war. It wanted to set up a national health service. It wanted to set up a, a massive public transportation system. It wanted to set up new housing for people and develop jobs. But because so many people um, had died in the war, and um, so much had been destroyed. It needed new workforces, it needed new workers. And so it invited people from its colonies in, in, in the Caribbean and Asia and Africa to come to Britain, come to the center of empire to help rebuild it, and come they did. Thousands of people from the Caribbean, from Asia and from Africa, migrated to Britain on Britain's invitation in the 1950s and 60s and early 70s, to help rebuild the centre of empire, to help rebuild Britain after it was destroyed in World War II, and importantly, help to build a new Britain, help to build Britain's National Health Service, the NHS, help to build Britain's public transportation system, the tube system, the buses that you see in London and the massive train networks across the country, help to build Britain's council council housing um, and the housing that we see today, as well as much of the other infrastructure. But the other thing that migrated to Britain at the same time in the 1950s, 60s and 70s weren't just the people from Britain's colonies in the Caribbean, Africa and Asia. The other thing that migrated to Britain were the colonial ideas which were used to police those communities the racist ideas that we used to police those communities and so while racist ideas were used to police and control Britain's uh, colonised populations as we saw in the last class um, in colonial Kenya which, which enabled them to use violence and collective punishments and surveillance against them but those ideas began to migrate to Britain and began to be used on the British mainland to police those these, uh, what were we'll called coloured populations at the time, people from Africa and Asia and the Caribbean. And one example of this really arose in the 1970s, and it was the idea of mugging. You're probably all familiar with the term mugging, right? So a, a street robbery. And what arose in Britain in the 1970s was the idea that there was an epidemic of mugging, a massive increase and a massive problem with mugging. And according to the British police and the British government, as well as a lot of the media, this problem of mugging arose from black people. Now, despite the fact that robbery has existed in Britain for hundreds of years, it's always existed. Um, in Britain, um, particularly in its major cities. In the 1970s and, and early 80s, the press and the politicians and the police created the impression that this was a new problem. And they did it in a really interesting way. So mugging, if, you're, if someone mugs you, that's not actually a crime. There's nothing on the law books, the legal books, which has the word mugging on. Mugging is a category of crime what does that mean a category of crime so a category of crime isn't a crime in and itself a category of crime is um, a collection of different crimes right so mugging if you think about mugging as a category of crime um, uh, that could include uh, robbery uh, theft um, like assault, like, you know, uh, maybe someone might punch you and steal your phone or your wallet. Um, obviously, people didn't really have mobile phones in the 1970s, but they might steal your purse, for instance, if you're a woman. Um, and so all of these different crimes, theft, robbery, assaults, get kind of vacuumed up into this new category of crime. And so it creates the impression that there is a new problem, that there is a different problem. And if there's a new problem and a different problem, it can be attributed, it can be blamed on new and different people. And the new and different people to which mugging was blamed were the young black people of Britain, particularly in its inner city areas. And so because there was apparently a new and different problem arising in Britain, mugging, it required a new and different type of policing. And that type of policing um, uh, had echoes of colonial policing. So the first thing that we see Britain doing is identifying a suspect community. You probably remember from the last class, the suspect community uh, in colonial Kenya that we learned about were the Kikuyu people. Well in Britain, the suspect community being identified was the black population of britain the second thing they did was impose forms of surveillance now they didn't have the kind of checkpoints that were set up in colonial kenya and other and more other uh, colonies of britain but what they did do was impose a new set of laws called the sus laws so the sus laws were laws of suspicion so sus is short for suspicion and it meant that any police officer who suspected someone of carrying out a crime could stop them, could search them, could question them, and if necessary, arrest and detain them. And in in uh, black communities like Brixton in South London, or Hackney in East London, or other cities such as um, St Paul's in Bristol, or Toxteth or Liverpool Eight in Liverpool, um, or uh, Moss Side in Manchester, um, or um, Or Handsworth in Birmingham, we saw massive increases and uses of this sus law to stop, to search, to question, and to apprehend black people in particular. The other things, the other kind of powers that we saw were raids on black businesses and black homes. If you've seen, the BBC series Small Acts*, which I recommend everybody watch. You can see an example of this um, in the mangrove restaurants in episode one of the series, which constantly um, uh, is raided by the police. In 1980, you see the first um, of a series of rebellions against this type of policing, against the raids on people's homes and the SUS laws which led to people being searched questioned and arrested the first rebellion takes place in st paul's in bristol um, where people challenge the raid of a black owned cafe called the black and white cafe in st paul's and then after that you see it in um, nottingham the nottingham area in the area called radford in 1981 you see more rebellions against um, the sus laws in places like brixton Um, and a number of other areas across England, including Toxteth in Liverpool, Mossside in Manchester, um, um, and and other cities as well. And it's here after these rebellions against the Sus laws that you see the next stage of colonial policing being introduced to Britain. This is the form, this is the colonial policing of collective punishments and collective violence. In this context, you see Britain starting to use forms of colonial policing that had never before been used on the British mainland. I'll give you two or three examples of this kind of colonial policing. The first is the use of poison gas for the first time on the British mainland. Before that, poison gas had only ever been used in Northern Ireland, um, one of Britain's oldest colonies, and also um, in colonies such as Kenya, which we learned about in the last class, and in other parts of the Caribbean, Africa and Asia. These forms of poison gas include pepper spray and CS spray, which some of you might be familiar with today. But this was used on the British mainland for the first time ever in Toxteth in Liverpool and then Moss Side in Manchester. And it was specifically used It was said against the black communities there who were rebelling against the sus laws that were being used to stop to search to question to arrest young black people in particular as well as the array the raids that were taking place on black businesses black homes and black youth and community centers in 1985 you see for the first time um, guns being used on the um, being deployed on the british mainland it weren't. It wasn't the kind of guns that you might see today, um, uh, by carried by anti-terror police in major airports or train stations in this country. They were they were guns with, with rubber bullets, um, and they were deployed for the first time um, in Tottenham in North London, um, in 1985, following the, a rebellion um, which took place after somebody's home was raided and their mother died during that home raid. Now, although the rubber bullets weren't actually uh, uh, No rubber bullets were actually shot um, in this particular rebellion, it's important to point out. It did mark an important turning point in that they were actually brought to the scene and they were ready to be used. And they marked a distinct change in British policing where now it became more and more common for British police to be armed, particularly against black communities. And we can see the legacies of that today and we'll learn about that in later classes when we look at the policing of gangs and the policing of terrorism. One of the other forms of colonial policing that was used was a tactic which had previously been used in both in Northern Ireland, but also in um, Hong Kong and other colonies as well, which was taking armoured vehicles, so vehicles with effectively armour all over it, so um, um, pieces of metal all over it, and driving it into crowds of people with the apparent intention of dispersing them, like making them disperse. Uh, this injured quite seriously two people in Moss Side in Manchester and killed a disabled man in Toxteth um, in 1981. And this was the first time this tactic had been used on the British mainland. As I said before that, it had only ever been used in Britain's colonies and, and former colonists. And l- like the uh, processes of uh, colonial policing, which were not simply uh, far more violent than been things that had been used in Britain, Um, but also used forms of collective punishment against a suspect community. Race also played a fundamental role um, in the policing of these black communities. So, as I mentioned before, Britain had identified this suspect community through the media and the media images which portrayed black people as muggers, through political rhetoric from politicians, which said that Britain um, had a race problem, uh, people like Enoch Powell and others, but also through police the rhetoric of police officers themselves who considered um, Britain to be to have to be having a, a more serious problem with criminality and violence since people from Britain's colonies and former colonies in Africa and Asia and the Caribbean had come to Britain in significant numbers. Racism played a really fundamental role in justifying the use um, of these new forms of colonial policing, forms of colonial policing, which deployed, as I mentioned, uh, surveillance through searches and raids on people's homes and, um, and questioning people on the streets, but also forms of collective punishment and collective violence, mass arrests of people, sending people to prison the violence of poison gas um, and uh, and armoured vehicles. And again, it's at this point as well that we see the development of riot police. So police with large hel- armoured helmets um, and visors, large shields, larger batons, um, all of these uh, different types of armour. This is what we might call a militarisation of policing, the police in Britain began to look more and more like a military force. And it's this military, um, uh, or this militarization of policing in Britain that takes place in the 1980s which makes British policing look more and more like colonial policing. And the reason that British policing On the mainland against a domestic population a home population can look more and more like colonial policing the policing of britain's colonial subjects is because those colonial subjects have migrated home in significant numbers they've come from being colonial subjects to being uh, people living and working in the center of empire and so therefore the racism that was used to justify the slavery and the colonial colonial exploitation and the colonial violence in the Caribbean and Africa and Asia was now coming home to Britain. And and while, of course, um, uh, the experiences and the policing of Britain's black communities isn't the same, isn't exactly the same as those experiences of Kenya and other parts of the colonies that we learned about last week, we see echoes of empire. We see these, we see similar kinds of violence, similar kinds of racist thinking, similar kinds of surveillance, of collective punishment, of violence. And so in order to understand both uh, police racism in Britain, we have to understand where it came from. And it didn't spring up out the ground out of nowhere. And it certainly didn't come about because black people Brought it to Britain. The reason that racist policing developed in Britain in the 20th century is because Britain had been developing racist policing for centuries in its colonies. And it now had come to Britain to control and police those communities which it deemed to still be part and connected to the empire the Black communities and the Asian communities, the cities all over the whole country. I think the final point that I want us to think about is the way in which Britain's cities are still very much multicultural. Black communities don't live um, separately from other working class communities in Britain. Black communities who are low income or uh, uh, in in, uh, working class communities live alongside white people. And so when the powers such as the Sus laws to stop and to search and to question people, when um, the uh, colonial policing of poison gas um, and armed police um, began to be used um, following uh, the urban rebellions of the 1980s, whilst their primary target were the black people living in those areas, white people were living and continue to live alongside those black communities and were also affected by the sus laws being stopped and searched and questioned were also affected by the use of poison gas and mass arrest and and other forms of police violence and brutality and while black people are disproportionately affected by this type of violence so they're more likely to be stopped and searched and arrested and while uh, black, whilst the use of this kind of policing was justified because it was being targeted at black people, once it had been originally introduced it started to be used against people from working class communities, from lower income communities of all different ethnic groups and so it's important for us to think about the ways in which policing and this form of police violence isn't just about race, it's also about class. And thinking about how race and class are connected, I think is really important in understanding who it is is, that is adversely affected by forms of police harassment, violence, discrimination, and detention.